Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's Program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Kroc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was a lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. I read the podcast makes me weak. <laughs> That's how I read it. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine somebody listening to Weak in the public news. affairs podcast just being like, uh, uh, does somebody have a fan? I'm, I'm overwhelmed. This content. Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Kogo. I am Scott Lewis, the CEO. An editor-in-chief at Voice San Diego. I'm joined, as always, by managing editor Andrew Keats. Scott, what's up, pal? We're also joined, of course, by fellow managing editor Andrea Lopez Villafana. What's Hello. up, Lopez? Happy to be here once Are again. You? <laughs> did you guys miss me last week? Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. The you show sucked. You didn't yeah, get the COVID again, again did you? No, I don't think so. Just, just the normal <laughs> sniffles. All right. This week, local government mandates... On their employees to get vaccinated, came in with a bang and now are going out with a whimper. The county of San Diego and city are done messing with that. They're over it. Last week, we talked about the awkward votes in Sacramento as Republicans force Democrats to defend the tax California puts on every gallon of gasoline. Democrats said they supported whatever Governor Gavin Newsom was working on. And now we have that proposal. And it's interesting. Andy, Andy thinks it's interesting. And finally, two friends, and I guess former allies, David Alvarez and Georgia Gomez, are running to replace Lorena Gonzalez in the assembly. The campaigns have gotten very mean, very fast, and we will explain our new report on how Alvarez's job lobbying after he left City Hall may be a legal and political problem. That's all coming up. Stay with us. But first, we at Voice San Diego are raising money again. <laughs> it's the spring fundraising campaign. We need to pay the bills. This is an important time of the year when we make a lot of money to power our journalism. We have to make, uh, this is our last quarter of our fiscal year. we got to bring in some dough. So if you value what we do for San Diego, for your ears, or if you enjoy hanging out with us and catching up on the news every week, now is the time to support the service, go to vosd.org slash donate. And when you give, you can write a little note. Just give it. Everybody sees it and the staff's kind of nice, right? It, it is nice. It's like yeah. my favorite part of the day. It's pretty Catching good. up on the donations. Mm -hmm. Right. So we have a few. Here's one from Jennifer. She said, you hold our politicians accountable and let us know what's going on. Thank you. Yes, that's the goal. Nancy says, I look forward to VOSD every day for news depth Depth reporting, uh, our depth beat. Mm -hmm. It's good. I like that. It's, I don't mean to pick on you, Nancy. Thank you for the kind words. Kevin, I love the podcast. Andrea has filled Sarah's shoes quickly. Andy's I ate. I think that's how I'll take it. it. I ate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll take it. That's fine. Thanks, yeah. Kevin. Yeah. You too. You are also I ate, Kevin. And Ian says, the podcast makes my week. Awesome. 
And then Marcos says, I tell everyone about the podcast. It's always the highlight of my week. Thank you, guys. It's great, right? So sweet. We love the support. Mm -hmm. I love it, too. Thank you again to everyone who's given so far. Please consider giving this week so we can stay on track, keep the show going, and the organization going, everybody's bills paid and their expenses, mileage, computers, all kinds of stuff we have to pay for, plus people's actual paychecks. If you value that, go to vosd.org slash give. So last week we talked about the legislature's, specifically Democrats' discomfort with the Republican push to suspend the state of California's 51 cents per gallon gas tax of course, is a little bit more sensitive uh, about it when prices surge like they have been, really have been, been something. Most of the Democrats said they would support instead a rebate plan that the governor was working on, but we didn't have the specifics. I think last week we threw out that it was $400. We thought he would just send out $400 checks to everyone. That's what it sounded like. That is not his plan at all. His idea instead is to send 400 bucks to everybody who has a car and another 400 bucks to everyone who has a second car. Yeah. And $400 per car. Per car. Limited it to. Limited it to. So you get 800 bucks. So compared to the solution or the what we thought what we discussed last week, $400 per person to what we learned it was this week. The big change was excluding poor people who can't afford a car. Mm-hmm. That was like they got in the policy lab and they were like, we need to fine tune this thing. What What's wrong with it right now? And they were like, there's too many people who don't have much money getting money under this plan. We need to change it so that those people who don't have that much money don't get any. Mm-hmm. We should only give the money to the people who have the most money. And it should be structured such that the more money you have, the more money you get. There you go. Is actually how they arranged this. It's very well, logical they were, policy. They making. were clearly trying to respond to the idea that the gas prices were too high. We need to address gas prices so we can look at people who have cars. Because they're paying for gas. Because they're paying for gas. Although a lot of them have electric cars now, right? Does it matter? You're going to get that money anyway. You're going to yeah. get that money. And so we'll give you that money instead of suspending the gas tax. We'll just give you this money, even if you haven't bought any gas. Like you might have a car you haven't used very much, and you're still gonna get four hundred bucks. Exactly. Yeah, I mean that's the 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 bind they were in from a policy perspective is they couldn't just give people money, which is a policy with quite quite a robust precedent in the last few years. Yeah, they could. Both at the state and local level. Yeah. One thing that governments had done in this country in the last couple of years is give people money. So they've seeded the ground that this is about gasoline prices. That's what they, they couldn't, they couldn't abandon that posture. Had to tie. So you couldn't, yeah, you couldn't just say, here's a stimulus program. Here's money. Yeah. It needed to be. We know things are expensive. Here's money. It needed to be clearly in response to gas prices. So, how do we structure this thing to make it clearly in response to gas prices? Ah, it needs to be tied to car ownership. But that has the the perverse the perversity of it is that the more money you have, like people who own cars are more by and, by and large wealthier than people who do not own cars. You don't have to own and, it, you just have to have a registered one, right? You could be leasing or something. Right. Yeah, excuse me. People who have cars, I right. should say. And people who have two cars. So like like a household that's operating on a fixed budget that has economized to have just one car that they share is punished under this scenario. Mm-hmm. They they get just the one payment from somebody who is in no such financial bind, has two cars, they get two two payments. Yeah. Now they did say as well they're going to give away 3 months of public transit, although did not specify how that will be done and I here to tell you that'll be fascinating to see because one thing i don't think is going to happen i want to say this now so that i can be uh, spectacularly wrong in a public way (laughs) in the case that they that they prove me wrong so i invite it what i don't think is going to happen is that buses just stop collecting fares that you just no longer need a fare 
when you go get on a trolley. I don't think that's what they're going to do. I don't think they're going to throw open the gates, throw open the turnstiles and say, you just get to walk on the bus now. I think they're going to create some Rube Goldberg machine for how you tap into this three months of free transit, which will result in it being... A QR code on the side of the bus stop. (laughs) You have to scan it and then put in your fingerprint and then send that information to Sacramento. And then three months later, you'll get a a, a coupon that you can take to MTS to get a pass. You can buy your monthly... You buy your monthly pass, and if you have a receipt for your monthly pass for these months, when you do your taxes next year, <laughs> you can deduct it out. Or it's going its going to be some torturously complex structure that's just going to result in not that many people getting the benefit. I, I got to say. I'm, I, I, and so I, that's said now. If, I, if, if they just open the turnstiles, you guys can all I, shove this in my face. There's and I, and I, I welcome it. There, I, I is there anything more awkward, Andy, in this in this country than when Democrats agree to the framework of a Republican, you know, rhetorical, uh, you know, positioning? Trap, yes, yeah. and and then try to do something more Democrat some, yeah, about it. Policy jujitsu. It's, it's, it's like, it's aha! <laughs> they've tried to tackle us, but we've sprung yeah. to our back and are kicking them off because it's, it's not going to make any of them happy. And then it's going to and then there are the people like you you just talked about the cost and the equity issue. Yeah. But there's also the climate issue of like incentivizing driving. You've gone to 20 years now of saying like we've got to get people to stop burning gas in their cars yeah. and driving. We're going to like, organize a whole policy like, regime around like limiting VMT. To when it yeah. finally starts to get very uncomfortable to drive a car they're like, "Whoa, sorry." We will pay Here's for some money. We will literally pay for you to drive. Yes. <laughs> like, it, we want you to, we want you to drive a lot, please. And, yeah, like yeah. that's and it's we talk Which, about three like, I, I I you know, I I actually don't I'm not especially concerned with the climate component of right, right. now. It's a 3 month period like in the grand right. scheme of things that's not going to make or break any of right. our climacy uh, any of our climate resiliency issues. Uh but if you do, I mean, there's obviously a fundamental contradiction in what the state and every region ha- a little has bit. been doing a little for bit. a decade. It's, it's for a little two bit. decades. It still it yeah. goes back to that thing I've been trying to articulate, which is that there's this there's this place where Democrats have been having this conversation about climate change and passing all these aspirational goals and plans, and and it's up here. Up here in this in this cloud, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, l- listeners, he, his hands are above his head, and he's making a uh, <laughs> a, a globe like shape with his hands when he says that it's up here. And then there's real life at the bottom where there's it's like down by his belly. Now he's doing <laughs> sort of like a bowl type type thing with where, his hands, <laughs> where people are living their lives and they're driving every day. And and up there, back up, back yeah, up, I'm back. Uh-huh. There's there's like they're like gonna stop driving and the the cities are gonna be reshaped yeah. and gasoline and everything's gonna be 100 percent renewable and all that stuff and then down back back below now yeah the the real life continues and every time those two worlds start to get close everybody freaks out and goes back to the way it should be <laughs> like the way that that you don't mess with the way that real life is yes and and. That's easy to do now when they're like 15 years away from their goals or 20, yeah. mm-hmm. but eventually those years go by. It, it's. I was just looking at an event we had in 2018. That was four years ago. It feels like yesterday or 15 years ago. I have no sense of how fast these things are going. Madeline Albright, I sat next to her in 2009 at a thing and she died. That was like 13 years ago. Things pass fast. That gap is going to have to get closed, and and they're they're never going to do what they say at the high level that they're going to do. There's no way, right? What are you going to do with your four hundred dollars, Andrea? That is an excellent question. <laughs> do you know? Well, I think I'm going to put it in my savings. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that's me right now. You don't want to buy a sword or something. A sword. <laughs> A sword? Do I look like the I don't kind know. person it that's going like, buy a sword? It's like four hundred. What do you do with four hundred? It's like it's like the per, it's like half a surfboard. It's like what you, you your measurements are insane. <laughs> what are you thirteen year old boy? Half of a surfboard or a sword? <laughs> 
don't how many know. pocket knives is it, Scott? <laughs> how many firework boxes of fireworks well, do you get with it? <laughs> no, it's four hundred. Okay, so in total, this plan is an eleven billion dollar plan. You can tell how much money they have because they're they're about to hand out eleven billion dollars, and like, is that enough? Are you guys gonna be happy with that? Or, yeah. But they have like a fifty billion dollar surplus at the state. I gotta say, the Republicans though, they just uh, said, I just want to hold on. I just want to to put a fine point on like. To your point, $11 billion, it is not a budget decision not to give money to everyone. The decision to limit this money in one way or another is not because they have they don't have enough money to give it to everyone. It's specifically because they need to be seen as addressing the cost of gasoline. Yeah. And the group that is excluded to ensure that that optic is assured is the are the poorest people it's it's policy insanity no but to do to structure it this way they have so conceded the ground that they have backed themselves into a corner where they're handing out money on the basis of who has the most of it <laughs> and look at it look, <laughs> it's the, insane the one of the republicans arguments was that let's just suspend the tax because then you just stop charging the tax mm-hmm. yeah and you don't have to create like a whole system to like hand out the checks and all these like, do you have two cars, all that. They're yeah. going to have to create a little bureaucracy to hand out these checks. It's going to take a few months. Mm-hmm. I think that makes more sense. If you're going to do what you just said and seed the ground that it has to be for people who are actually paying for the gas, then just give them that. Why? It, the only reason I see that they're not doing that is because it's a Republican idea. Well, I if think, they're going to already seed that ground. Well, I think the issue is... Even if you do that, probably the price of gas won't go down, and so no one. Well, will... You can't guarantee it, and so you no the one. Feel, will... They want to. They want to. They, they want to see a check. Yes. In no. Their hand. No one will feel that they anything has been given. Here's to a them, question I have. But for the do they, state's budget, it'll still happen. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. they can say like we gave you know x amount of families this much money. Yeah, you and, just sign you know, the check. They, they put it towards whatever. Yeah, it's, like, it's say like right. gas Gavin budget is... or whatever. Yeah. Yes. Here's my yes. question though. Does anybody ever notice that stuff anyway? Did they really value the the stimulus? I know they spent it. They bought like seventeen hundred dollar TVs or whatever, right? Like they swords, <laughs> four, four swords. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know. It just came to mind. Like, what would be four hundred dollars? A sword, like a purse. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know. They did the child tax credit for a long time. I know people a lot of a lot of people valued it, but. Did it win for the Democrats? I don't know if it did. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, so Governor um, Gavin Newsom has that proposal. It's not a guarantee, of course. The the legislature will have to debate it. It's going to be like July before anything happens. Uh, Tony Atkins, who runs the Senate, of course, represents San Diego. She's the Senate president. She said, I appreciate the work. The Senate is focused on ensuring that state money is targeted to those who actually need relief. And we look forward to working with Governor Newsom and our legislative colleagues to quickly develop a proposal that delivers for struggling Californians. I just want to say that that's not true. It is not targeted to the people who actually need. No, no. She's, I think what she's saying there is that we need to target that this, she's kind of recognizing your point. She's like making fun of him. Some some of those people don't actually need. Okay. Yeah. Speaker, I apologize. <laughs> I think she actually This is why is you're I Andy. <laughs> yes, that's, yeah, somebody who's more than I would have would have gleaned what 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 the 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 speaker was attempting to communicate there. I'm sorry. So a few months ago, you might remember I, I made an impassioned plea for the city and the mayor to like, if they're going to mandate that police have the vaccine, that go ahead and stop worrying about it and stop worrying about what these officers have to say. They're, they're supposed to be out there, force readiness. They're, 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 they're for years, their budgets have been protected amidst this push against them. The mayor has protected their raises, all these things, and the least they could do is a minor shot to take to make sure that they're okay when they interact with the public, and they interact with the public in a way that no other city employee does. Yeah, there's only one city employee that 
it, you don't get a say in the matter of whether you, you talk to them. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it it seems if you don't want to talk to like a DSD permit checker, like that's fundamentally in your control. Walk yeah. away. Walk, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the mayor held the line and for months was like, You're gonna you're gonna get fired if you don't get the vaccine. Turns into this big protest thing. It turns into the oh, we're losing cops to all these places where they're not so horrible about this thing, and it's just a bad. It was like a lot of drama, right? Mm-hmm. At firefighters had it. There was a lot of trouble with their firefighter union leadership. With the police union leadership, was facing tons of pressure about it. It was this whole thing, and now it is completely gone. The city of San Diego announced yesterday that with 90% of its workforce now vaccinated, it's going to accommodate the city employees who asked for religious or medical exemptions after that. So a 700, almost 800 employees are going to get exemptions to allow them to continue working at the city because everything is okay now. And the county of San Diego, which was always a... <laughs> not to be un- outdone. Not to be outdone. <laughs> Oh, you think you're done with this whole thing? Well, wait till what you see what we've gotten. Right. We are so much more done than you've ever been done with anything. I think it's a bigger story than people have acknowledged just how done with COVID the county has been over the last year. Here's another done step they've done. The county announced that starting April 4th, they're no longer going to make unvaccinated employees test regularly for COVID-19. So that's had, different than the city. The city's saying if you get this exemption, you still have to test every week. Yeah. Well, because, right. So the, this is a little boring and a little uh, summer of 2021. That's what but, you are. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, there was two options that cities were sorting themselves into. A, a vaccination mandate where you Just had get to the be vaccine vaccinated. Or you, vaccinated. you lose your job. You lose job. Supposedly. Right. Right. <laughs> Which we now know wasn't real either. So That's a lie. never mind. Uh, or a like a test or vax. Right. Which you could either be vaccinated or if not, you had this option where you could just get tested. Over yes. And, over. and so the county went with that. But now they'll stop requiring the test and they'll stop requiring that new hires, except for healthcare hires, new hires do not need to be vaccinated any longer after April 4th. So... Like term for that is nothing. Yeah. There's just no policy on the matter anymore. It's But after the months of KUSI lighting their hair on fire and these, <laughs> these protests. With the boots, the, the empty boots. Yeah, the like empty, all the, yeah. All the people we're going to lose. Yeah, it was just, and the, and the mayor, you know, we're sticking with it and we have to control this virus and everything was so intense. And now it's just like, hey, yeah, we're done. You know, I mean, it's. I don't disagree. It's just. It's, I just want to mark how much our minds have been yeah. morphed. Doesn't it kind of feel though that the city always had this end date? Of in course. Mind? Every time it came to one of those deadlines, they'd be like, "Oh, this isn't actually the deadline where, yeah. where people are going to get fired. This is just the deadline where they'll start sending out letters, yes. and then the letters go, and then there's the deadline for when the letters become meaner. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and then there's the deadline when you're actually going to be like, well, now you're going to get in trouble. And, and then that, there's another deadline after that. And, you and can all that, appeal. all that deadline pushing always seemed about extending to this point where you could then say, all right, we're, we've, we've, there have been enough shots in arm that we're moving on. Right. So this is weird, but it reminds me of like my mom, because if I was doing something bad, which I rarely did. But she would, Stipulated. she would say, you know, if you keep, <laughs> if you keep doing that, you know, vas a ver, vas a ver, You'll and see, you yeah. know, her tone just kept getting crazier. Yeah. But like, nothing ever happened. <laughs> you did know? you did you ever wonder what you were going to ver? No, I knew that like there was nothing. There was nothing. I would never see anything. Like I could even from the beginning keep you, doing you, you the thing was I was hollow. doing because, like, my friends also having Mexican moms like. Would not even get the threat of vas a ver, <laughs> like yeah. taking a smack on the face or like something, you know. And I just knew my mom would never. I always do that though so as this a parent. Like of- I'm always like, if you don't get ready right now, <laughs> I'm um, 
and then I'll just and they'll look at me and they're like like a dog, their head will tilt a little bit. <laughs> and they're I like, no, nothing's I, gonna happen. Yeah. I don't know. So just a note on the cases: they're super low right now. Uh, hospitalizations are lower than they've been in many many months. Uh, there was some indication in the poop, though. They you know right. they test the poop to yeah. see if they're. <laughs> you can just the say way you said you could, that. Yeah, just say sewage. It's fine. No. <laughs> there was some indication in the poop. Yeah. <laughs> The wastewater surveillance that UCSD does yes. has indicated a little bit of a tick up with this BA2 variant. Mm-hmm. But we haven't seen it yet in cases or tests. Uh, and it is, the numbers are still I mean, the point quite of low. doing the sewage is as a leading indicator. Right. So it's, we'll see if it's tracked well in the past. So the schools are going to let them not wear masks after April 4th, at least in San Diego Unified. My kids are super stoked about that. If the wastewater gets worse though and they rescind that <laughs> there's gonna be some boss of airs from my kids <laughs> man do you can you imagine how happy the anti-maskers will be if oh. the mask mandate gets put in back oh, in place? Be so stoked. everything they want is like, for the mask is is to is see, for they, the, is yeah i got an, they an, will be happier than anything if the thing that they don't want happens i got i got in an argument like that with one of them that was like they're they're gonna bring it back you know they are I like, and oh, i was yeah. like Obviously, that's what you want. Why would they? Like, nobody wants the masks. I mean, there's a few people who are, like, really obsessed about that probably will keep them for a long time. They're, they're you know, they're, mm-hmm. they're stuck on that as a protection measure that they need to do for a long time. But I don't think anybody wants them. Right. right. Yeah, no. If people want to feel safe, they will use them. But it is not the end result that they yeah, want. Right? There's, yeah. like, this assumption that, that, that we want to mask kids yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's the central argument of the anti-mask movement yeah. is, that people, is that people want this. Yes. Yeah. But they want it so they can keep arguing. It's all about power, man. We're going to take a quick break. On the other side, Andy's going to unpack his story about a big local political race for the state assembly. Stay with us. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. So we were talking about events that we were looking through a couple years ago, and I was remembering an event from 2018 in November. It was after the election, and we had a Bruising News event. Remember Bruising News? Get some conversation about the news while you had a brew. It's a pretty simple concept. And we were there. We were having the conversation with David Alvarez, who was on the city council then. He represented the Barrio Logan area. We were in Iron Fist Brew House, and we were having fun. And one of the people there, very much as a friend of David and as somebody we wanted to talk to, was Georgette Gomez. So Georgette Gomez had been elected to the city council two years before that. Mm -hmm. And she was rumored, remember, to be considered or uh, a candidate for city council president. Which she did get uh, just a couple weeks later. Yeah. And so David was the one- And then MTS chair just a few weeks after that. Yeah. It was a a meteoric rise, as they say. That is exactly what they say and and what it was. And part of the reason she got there was because of David Alvarez. She was so close to him. They were such good allies. Mm-hmm. And now they are not. Yes. It is. And like, it's a weird, you know, political friendships are easy to overstate often. Sure. Uh, but this was as close of one as I This was, it seemed like a, a genuine friendship, certainly. Yes. 
Um, so they they are now in contention, running against each other to replace Lorena Gonzalez in the 80th Assembly District. Now that district is remaining the same for this special election. Mm-hmm. Covers a broad area uh, that goes a little bit further north into like City Heights and such. But now the district is changing. After this election, we'll switch to the almost purely South Bay South County area. So Georgette will actually have to leave City Heights to be a part of it yes. if but, she wins. But this election is for the old seat. Right. And yeah. then uh, this is the special election. Now, Lorena Gonzalez left. She had a lot of health problems. And she took a job still to come officially as the uh, head of the Labor Federation, basically all of California labor. Mm-hmm. Most of the affiliated groups will be something she represents. So it's going to be a big race now. Lopez, you've been getting uh, inundated with mail on this. You're two in the district in Golden Hill. Uh, A lot of mail about this. A lot of it not very flattering about Georgia Gomez. Yeah, it's uh, it's really the graphics that do it for me. Like her sinking or like sinking into a black hole of money, and it has to do with her uh, taxes. I'd like to talk to a male, like a male designer, uh, about. Like how happy of a picture could you use if you put that negative filter on it that it would still look bad? Like could you put like a picture yeah, of like a family I've seen smiling happy smiling happy. turned turned negative turned negative dark. just with the the like dark add filter some grain or yeah, something yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah there's always grain yeah, <laughs> yeah. so yeah so what are the, the two main attacks on the the males going in each direction are what how how would you characterize the the way the the way they're presented the way they're presented um that like why should you trust her? She's a liar. She lied about her taxes, so you can't trust her with any money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, the background yeah. on that was she was running for Congress, and she, remember, there was a big emphasis on disclosing your tax returns. She disclosed her tax returns, and then there was a story by Andrew Dyer in the UT saying she didn't claim any income from a year when she made about $100,000. On the city council. And she was like, whoa, and she said, my accountant screwed that up. And my accountant said, I'm sorry. And that's it. So, but that was a pretty, like, that was kind of a weird, shocking little story. Yeah. And it became the dominant story in that race. And she uh, was drubbed by. I wouldn't say because of that story necessarily. Was well, it, I don't it know. didn't help. Well, I, I, cause and effect is difficult to claim in any, any, but that was the primary attack from that point on through the race. They hammered that over and over and over again yeah. it was a, a a if if that was not the reason for the, the race the s- consultant for that ca- that race certainly thought it was a very damaging got it revelation also you, you sort of understated what happened there she disclosed her taxes to try to force sarah jacobs right. to, to, to disclose her taxes <laughs> right because sarah jacobs is wealthy and this was a way of getting her to say just how wealthy and that backfired terribly. <laughs> <laughs> terribly. Yes. Uh, so she lost that race handily. Yes. You did a story a few weeks later about the dramatic... So she, she like we talked about, meteoric rise in local politics was mm-hmm. just the biggest deal. And then runs for this seat, loses, and next thing she's just completely out of politics. What would you say the takeaway of her career was? Yeah, I mean, the, the I think the, the gist of that story... The, I think it was the headline was like the rise and fall of Georgia Gomez was that as she was accumulating these positions, there was a great deal of optimism about what they would be able to do at MTS, what they would be able to do with the city council. And two years later, there was sort of nothing to show for it. The MTS and there would be in fairness, plenty of uh, confounding factors such as a pandemic. Yeah. Um, but Long and short of it, the city council ended up not passing any major policy decisions. There was nothing to, of of substance to show for what sh- the city council did under her leadership. And that's, the that's, things the, that, that's the normal part for the course. But she had aspirations and sort of there was like a, a hope that something different was. And, you know, she was a council president under a newly empowered Democratic city council. There was right. not the 5-4 the split that the previous council presidents had been dealing with. Um, and they seemed when she went in, they said, we have a lot of things we want to do. She threw a lot of her political capital at a, um, 
inclusionary fee increase, which ended up being pretty much a nothing burger. She spent a lot of political capital to have very, very little to show for it. It was at best an incremental policy change in the end. Um, as MTS chair, she was going to like be the the point person for them putting a ballot, their own ballot measure to increase transit service. That cratered. She had to step away from the MTS chair position to focus on her congressional run, uh, which ended up not. So it, there was uh, they had there was she was the council president during the push to defund SDPD, the hours long meeting where activists called and demanded and she uh, she and the rest of her council colleagues sort of rebuffed them, ignored them and increased funding for uh, SDPD. And Sarah Jacobs used that against her as well. And, and yeah. Sarah, yeah. So, yeah. And there was, um, frankly, there was quite a bit of uh, frustration among local Democrats, local progressives, local activists who had a lot, to, a lot of optimism when she had accumulated these positions of power about what they'd be able to accomplish. And in the end, they did not accomplish much. And lots of people were very frustrated with her specifically. So let's talk about David Alvarez. Mm-hmm. David Alvarez uh, ran for city council, notoriously was was opposed by, he was running against um, Felipe Hueso, mm-hmm. and Felipe Hueso was uh, supported in large part by a, a lot of union alliances and by Lorena Gonzalez. And uh, there was, it was a classic sort of South Bay, just heated battle. And he shocked everyone and won with his sort of grassroots organizing abilities. And he did present for a while as kind of like an independent uh, city council member uh, and forged alliances with different people, most notably Scott Sherman, who was on the show with him yes. talking about housing and stuff like that as, as a Republican, Democrat sort of odd couple thing that they were going for. And then uh, he had the chance to run for mayor because uh, the unions asked him to, mm-hmm. and he became much more tied in with the unions, but he lost that race with Kevin Faulkner running. Mm-hmm. So uh, now we sort of set the state. He gets out of city council. He starts to become a lobbyist. So let's pick up the story there. You did a story this week about one of his first jobs. Well, so he, he uh, all city officials, uh, elected officials specifically, when they leave office, have what's called a two-year cooling-off period where they are not allowed to uh, lobby or influence official city decisions um, on behalf of clients. They cannot do what normal, what other lobbyists do, and have meetings and ask people for specific outcomes. Uh, related to decisions that are under the purview of the city. Put simply, you don't want to be a city council member and then set something in motion and then go and work for somebody who wants to see that thing happen and have already put in the places to like call on the people that you empowered to, to do a favor for you. It's, it's kind of a, it's a classic government uh, best practice. Yeah, we don't want to, you cashing in on your work in mm-hmm. government in, in the private sector. Sure. Um, and so there is this meeting that occurs. It's listed in Georgia Gomez's public calendar, which was disclosed in a previous uh, records request on which the city puts all of those um, up publicly, that in 2019, which was still in David Alvarez's uh, cooling off period, he uh, had a meeting with Georgette Gomez along with sdg representatives from sdg to discuss building a uh, energy substation in the area uh, at the, like the border of downtown and Barrio Logan. And he, David Alvarez, did not file a lobbying disclosure during this period, which is a good thing because he's not allowed to lobby anybody during this period. So he did not uh, file anything. He has since filed a lobbying disclosure with the city because his cooling off period has ended. And that lobbying disclosure he has filed since then does not include any client relationship with SDG&E. Um, but SDG&E, which it always does because they often have business in front of the city, did file a lobbying disclosure during uh, the period of this meeting. 
and it appears to include as a lobbying contact that meeting that David Alvarez was participated in with Georgette Gomez. So if it was a lobbying contact as at suggested that moment, by, yes, as suggested by the company that was lobbying, yes, <laughs> then he potentially broke this law against cooling off uh, or enforcing a cooling off period. Yeah. Now his defense is that he did have a contract on behalf of SDG&E, but it was a community engagement contract, not a lobbying contract. And that they asked him to go have some meetings, talk to people, community members, and ask them about this energy substation that they're trying to build. Uh, where should we build it? What do you want out of it? How are, what are ways we can make it better? And that that meeting was him attempting to take the results of that community engagement and tell Georgette's office about it. Tell Georgette about it and tell Georgette's office about it. Uh, for, for just neutral purposes. Here's some information I collected. I'd like you to have that information. I'm not lobbying you to do anything with it. Just, just putting it out there. But yeah. here's what people said. Here's what people said. So I think there's some like pretty obvious potential. It strains it, a little bit, the credulity. It, it strains credulity. I mean, like, so one of the people we talked to is the former ethics commission chair, uh, of uh, Gil Cabrera. He was the former chair of the Ethics Commission. He's now a lawyer that often represents people with business in front of the Ethics Commission. That's the agency that regulates our lobbying ordinances. He's, uh, and full disclosure, he uh, has donated to Georgette Gomez's assembly campaign, but he is by any stretch an expert on these matters. And he said, do we really think that in that meeting, and it really, it probably does come down to what was actually said in the meeting, whether it's lobbying or not, but do we think that he's providing information that is counter to what SDG&E is saying in the meeting? That SDG&E is going and saying, hey, we want you to uh, build a substation here. And David's saying, well, the results of my community engagement work are that uh, they don't want it there. Mm-hmm. That he's like actually arguing against them. Or that the that people that a possibility, he, yeah. It seems unlikely, right? Mm-hmm. And so in that case, the community engagement work is is almost just like, the type of information that a lobbyist would share to try to encourage somebody to do something. Yeah, so there's kind of two things that have come out of this. One is the concern about that, the legal issue. Yeah. But it seems like the opponents to Alvarez and the supporters of Gomez have also seized maybe even more on what he was lobbying or supposedly lobbying for, what SDG was lobbying for, which is the substation that they wanted to locate within Barrio Logan, right? Yeah, I think that that is accurate. They've leapt on not just, you know, I think they probably see more political salience talking to voters about like, oh, he's doing the bidding of this gas company that charges you a bunch of money and they wanted to put this dirty thing in a poor community. They they probably see that as a more salient political hit than like technically this was a <laughs> breach of period. the cooling off period thing. Uh, you know? Well, Lorena Gonzalez, who again remember has always been a little bit at odds with David Alvarez. Of course, opposed him when he first ran for office. Opposed him when he ran for office with Felipe Hueso. Uh She supported Felipe Hueso. Mm-hmm. Uh Opposed him when he was running for mayor, and she supported Nathan Fletcher, who she was not married to at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, opposes him now. Yeah. So uh, she jumped on that and said, like, you know, there's this lobbying thing, but also that he wanted this here. So there's a lot of this is this is the two sort of main attacks that come out. Andrea, we you- should al- we should also say that it, we, we when we were setting the table at the beginning, the mail that's filling Andrea's uh, mailbox right now about uh, Georgette's tax problems. There's likewise mail that has been uh, lining up about David Alvarez doing all of this corporate lobbying. Got it. This, this was already a narrative that they had tried to establish. You have, Andrea, you have the, I think as close as anyone, the feel of the community, um, what's going on, what people are concerned about. Does this stuff matter? What are people really worried about in South Bay and these other parts of the city as they deal with you know gas prices, everything that's going mm-hmm. on? I, I think what Andy just said, the, the way that they're, you know, using this differently as like, look, he was doing the bidding of this company that, you know, is charging you like outrageous amounts for your electricity bill. Like, I think that 
might hit some people who who do feel, you know, already there's like a lot of distrust in the community, especially like those communities always feel like they're not represented well and, and the things that they want, they never get their fair share. So to kind of see that someone is possibly doing the bidding of some large corporation, I, I think could affect the way that people view him. Mm-hmm. Um, they probably don't care about, you know, about the lobbying and all that technicality. Yeah, I think what, one of the things that was interesting watching this race come together was how he was clearly trying to stake a different path. Like he he kept saying, like I'm going to be a, I'm going to make change mm-hmm. up there. I'm going to be a different type of represent. I'm going to represent you in a way that hasn't been, mm-hmm. which was a direct attack on Lorena Gonzalez yeah. and on Democrats. Right. So I think he was trying to take that sort of right of center role or maybe right of left of whatever it, but it was he was clearly trying right to left. yeah there's like this you know and this idea that maybe he would be more <clears throat> congenial to some of the independent or different mm-hmm. business interests in the in sacramento and that was evidenced by we haven't even discussed the who funded those first flyers that were against georgette gomez so we tracked it down to ramos towing llc which is a, a towing and, and trucking company in Sacramento. And I called the guy who owns it. And I was like, you're the guy who's funding this, right? And he said, yeah. And then I said, why? Why do you oppose Georgette Gomez? He says, I'm not going to have any comment on that. And I was like, well, why though? <laughs> he says, I said, I'm not going to have any comment on that. And he just hung up. Yeah. It's like, what do you want? What is Ramos towing and trucking from in, Sacramento? In Sacramento? Yeah want and you know what's going on is he doesn't care yeah. he's been asked by somebody who's politically connected to give twenty five thousand dollars or whatever to this to this you know campaign because of whatever other levers he's trying to pull and it's just like this is just bananas yeah it's uh it's a it's a very weird race i mean it's become i think for many people a proxy race that with lorena that Lor- yeah. lorena gonzalez has strongly endorsed georgia gomez she's involved herself in the race very much so and people who don't like her have said have recognized that this is an opportunity to potentially beat her by beating georgia gomez which isn't exactly true but that's i think uh it's it's a proxy war yeah well somebody emailed me angry about your story and said well the we should be asking why the millions of dollars from unions are going against uh, Alvarez. And I was like, wow, I re- I'm old enough to remember when like they spent $5 million trying to get him to be mayor. You know, it's like, yeah. it's been around a lot. Um, uh, so one of the th- other things that stood out about Alvarez's rhetoric I've noticed is he's very supportive of police, wants more police, wants more highly trained police. I, I have, a- Andre, do you think that resonates right now in, in some parts of the city in a way that, you know, the defund movement and, and all the concerns about criminal justice reform may, may not be, um, attached to in the same way. Yeah. I mean, so this is weird and it's not like completely related to this, but something that I noticed, um, when I was covering Barrio Logan is there is a difference on how people view, policing and spending of policing and investing in policing. I noticed sometimes at these uh, planning group meetings when, you know, specifically they were referencing like enforcement of a truck resolution or truck ordinance to keep semi trucks out of the community. Um, Some of the older residents who had been around and witnessed all of that and, you know, their children have asthma and all this other stuff like really we're pushing that we need more police officers out here. Like they're out in other communities. They're not policing our communities. They're not protecting us from these giant trucks driving through our small neighborhood. Um, But then like younger community members, younger like Latino community members are like, no, we don't, we don't want more police in our neighborhoods. We don't want them here. So that's something that I've noticed on different subjects like homelessness. Um, Obviously when it's related to like, you know, police misconduct, I think that they kind of align, but it's weird. Like in, in some Latino communities, you know, I, and I think we've noticed a lot of coverage too, like a lot of, um, you know, Latino community members, they're not, you know, some of them lean to, you know, more Republican thoughts or 
um, you know, so, some do support the police. So I don't know. It's it's interesting. It's not like entirely black and white. It's very mm-hmm. gray. Well, it's also, you know, I remember during the uh, defund fight at the city and that, that, you know, basically one week that that was uh, uh, a real political fight here. Um, one of the things that we talked about was how it had it was so stark because it had followed years and years and years and years and years where the fight around policing at the city council level had been about hiring more police officers and what to do to hire more police officers. And David Alvarez was on the city council during those years. And he was always of the opinion that we should be hiring more police officers. And when he had clashes with, uh, with the police chief, it was because of what, what was being done on recruiting and retention. That's right. Re- recruiting and retention. That to, they weren't going fast that enough. That they weren't going fast enough. His, what was he, wrong his, with you uh, you couldn't do this? Yes, he he did clash with the police union or the police officers, but it was because he was angry that they weren't doing more to fill the budgeted positions that they were being given. That's right. Well, so some ba- basic details. The uh, vote will be in a couple weeks. Uh, I believe it's April 5th. They're going to have the first uh, primary vote for this race. This is Assembly District 80. If nobody gets more than 50% of the vote, this is one of those uh, races, state races that will go to a runoff unless somebody gets more than 50%. It seems like there's a pretty good shot that they won't get 50% because there is a Republican running in the race, Lincoln um, Picard, and he is uh, likely to get some support there and so this will probably go to june but not necessarily guaranteed so stay tuned for that we we were kind of rushing to maybe put together a a live podcast debate or something with the candidates uh, before this primer but i realized we might have some more time if it goes into that uh, runoff so stay tuned Thanks for listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast, the most popular public affairs podcast recorded in this particular quadrant of San Diego's downtown and the recording studio within it. You can support us and get the satisfaction of knowing you help this awesome local podcast succeed and thrive and continue by donating now. Donate now at VOSD.org donate. That's VOSD.org donate. Thank you so much. I'm Scott Lewis, CEO and Editor-in-Chief at Voice of San Diego. Andrew Keats and Andrea Lopez Villafania are our managing editors. Adam Greenfield is our technician. And Nate John is our producer. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.